Last week, OpenAI announced their new text-to-video model, which was surprisingly good, like good enough to the point where it'll start to become dangerous. And so this week, we had on Aman Ibrahim. He's the founder of Deep Trust, which is an AI deepfake detection startup, to talk about what it will look like once we get to a point where anyone can AI generate a video of anything or anyone they want in seconds. Welcome to the podcast. Ah, uh, thank you. I've been welcomed warmly. You've been welcomed warmly. You, yeah. you welcomed me warmly. Yeah, first I mean, podcast back after two weeks. Ah, uh, man. I mean, it wasn't like you like called me last night while you were driving and just like, hey, we need to do this podcast stat. Yeah, yeah. That's not what. That's happened. not what happened. It's no, not no, that no. OpenAI came out with Sora and yeah. I wanted a a deep fake detection expert on the podcast. Expert, expert. Like I said before, this podcast expert is a heavy title to have. You know. You know, it's interesting though because I feel like. You know, especially when you're a founder and you've spent, you know, a considerable amount of time mm. market, doing market research, building a company, pitching to investors, you'll generally find that you have more of a domain expertise than your investors and your customers and, you know, the general public. Yeah, I, you know, I do agree with that. It's just, you know, uh, I'm just always learning. That's, that's, that's the thing, you know, so I feel like the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. So, um, it's just, it's like, again, like the, also the other thing too, is like, there's always people I respect too, that are also in this space as well, Of course, where I just, it just wouldn't feel right that I'd t- title myself at, my, at their level, you know? To give the audience a little bit of context, I guess, yeah. on, on who you are. Um, a year ago, you were an ML engineer at Cruise, and then you moved up from LA to kind of come to Fink and experiment on like what you wanted to do next. You would wanted to start kind of like something in like the startup world. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I guess the story I like to always say is... Um, I've always had a interest in uh, generative AI, like I was a spectator of the research, especially when it was just the research field. Um, like for example, I was aware of GPT before chat GPT. Um, and I think a year ago, um, I, before I even left Cruise, I saw a Pandora's box has been open in the sense that not only has the technology in generative AI um, improved immensely, but the accessibility uh, it's, it's much more accessible than it's ever been before. And for me, that sh- showed me that, hey, and Pandora's box has been opened and we'll have trouble believing what we see in here, especially digitally. Uh, I mean, like, imagine like how, like out of our five senses, we always say, if you see it, I believe it. You know, I hear it, I believe it. Now we're entering a space where that won't be the case. Um, so I immediately, even while I was still at Cruise, have been ideating, like, how would you go about solving this problem? A very hard problem, just like self-driving cars, but like for every problem, there's a solution. So how do you go about solving it? That's why I've been thinking for over a year now. And so now you have a company which is called Deep Trust. Yeah. And how would you explain what that does? Yeah, we help verify an uh, identity and content uh, with with AI tools, specifically deep fake detection. Um, and, uh, the focus that we have right now is on voice clones, audio, as my thesis has always been that uh, audio would be the the immediate channel of deception. And honestly, we see the news cycle. Uh, my thesis has been validated multiple times with all the things that have been going on uh, in the mainstream. But the reason why I had always said that, said that is because the, the technology for, say, for example, for voice clones has already hit that threshold for you know, being able to fool people. And it's just a matter of how accessible it is, which is very accessible, and uh, how aware the general public that this technology exists, because the general public also includes malicious actors. And yeah. And you know, one thing you mentioned ChatGPT, one of the things that did was it made the UX layer of 
interacting with AI accessible to anyone that had an iPhone or like a phone and an internet connection. Yeah. And from that, you know, you're finding a lot of the copywriters we've worked with for like the effing studio projects are just like dudes in India that like, you know, their tweets are like amazingly well-written <laughs> and in our DMs or on the phone call, sometimes I have trouble like understanding what they're saying because, you know, like to their credit, like English isn't their first language. And it just like completely destroyed the barrier to entry of like communicating through text. And now recently, and the reason why I wanted to do this podcast was last week, OpenAI announced Sora, yeah. which was their text to video model. And I guess we'll put some images up or some videos up on the screen right now of like what they, <laughs> of what they looked like. Yeah, yeah, over, yeah exactly. Yeah. Just like that. I got, you, um, I got you. And I was shocked when I saw it because it was just so much better than what I had expected. And yeah. I'd been following this space. Like if you just look at how much has changed in the last year since our first like Will Smith eating spaghetti, <laughs> Like it's crazy to think how far we've come in just a year. And then it's crazy to think how far we'll be in just another year. Like yeah. I'm, I'm convinced that in a year we won't be able to tell whether or not something is AI generated or not without assistance, without some assistance. Right. Yeah. And that's where you come in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what was your initial reaction when you saw Sora? I think my initial reaction is no different than say, for example, when GPT came out, I like, I refuse to be a doomer despite what I'm building. You know, like there's a lot of benefit. For example, we were mentioning earlier with chat GPT, a lot of the immediate reaction was like, oh my God, how are we going to, AI is going to take over the Turing test, da, 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 da. how are we going to know the difference between talking to a human or an AI? But like what you mentioned there, breaking the barriers, more people can communicate with one another, solving more problems, say in just communication alone is a huge benefit, you know? Uh, like we, we're making the world a smaller place with this sort of technology. Think about a lot of the benefits. Making the world a smaller place. That's yeah. A lot. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Like now, you know, he's like you said, dudes from India can get a job at Founders Inc. You know. Yeah. I mean, listen. The, the, I think. I think. Yeah, there will be some dangers, but we always like should realize this is a, a normal, repeated history of hum humanities. When we see like a new technology, something new, our immediate response is fear. So like even even for like the light bulb, people are like, oh my god, people will never go to sleep. You can look this up. Even when it came to the email, it wasn't like I think a report came out in, by the CNN. Okay. In 2005, saying people become more literate thanks to email, right? And obviously we're sitting here now and that isn't the case. Mm -hmm. So like with new technology, this opens new paths. We won't like necessarily know how we'll use it immediately. Um, but yeah, I mean, naturally there is some fear of like, for example, Sora and how easy it is to like uh, uh, mimic things, right? And so, you know, there's a few... I'll, I'll play devil's advocate and I'll play yeah, the, like yeah. doomer role. There's a few things that could go wrong with this. Number one, suddenly like I have a background. One of the first things I ever did was I was a filmmaker. And so I used to go out with my friends and we would, you know, take our drones and our cameras and we would record foot, like footage. And sometimes we would sell them to companies or put together a film. Sometimes we would list it as stock footage. And I had friends who made thousands of dollars, which for a 15 year old is a lot of money off of just selling their drone footage as stock footage. Now, suddenly you don't have to hire that drone pilot and fly him out from wherever he is and give him lodging yeah. and, you know, pay for his, his equipment or pay for his fees or whatever, because now you can just AI generate whatever scene you want. And I think that already exists where I think there was a video of Big Sur. I've been to Big Sur, right? It's something we would go all the time growing up. The stock footage or like the drone, sorry, the AI footage that they had created looked almost like it looked completely real to me. Yeah. Uh, I, so like I said, like, part of answering that question requires us to like see into the future, which is something we naturally can't do. Right. And again, I really just feel like this is human history repeating itself just in a different way. 
I mean, I think before like the 1900s, 90% of everyone was a farmer, right? And then with the introduction of like the industrial revolution, I'm pretty sure everyone's first thought is like, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose. And like, uh, like we do, we do, we, as a country, we should like keep in mind job security. But um, as an optimist, I always believe things will work its way out. You know, well, there's always things for people to do. There's always a way people can com- like, com- like, uh, contribute to society. And who knows, like maybe, especially once we figured out this whole genuine content or not thing out, there might be added value to creating more genuine content and be more a luxury thing. I'm just guessing here, but like, you know, maybe people will appreciate, you know, a real video of Big Sur over a generated one because the how work would they know? I, that's something that I'm, that's part of what I'm trying to figure out too. You know, if we actually accomplish what we hope to accomplish where it's easy to like figure it out, maybe there's just added value to the, and this is just me guessing, you know, like in a year or two time, I probably, everything I'm saying might be laughable. <laughs> Someone might just clip this. Or it might be serious. Yeah. yeah. So um, the, the real answer is we don't really know that at the end of the day, we just have to keep moving forward. I think a key thing maybe for someone who's like directly like a, a videographer or anything like that is instead of like um, getting huffy and puffy with what is seeming like the inevitable, try to use it to your advantage. Maybe instead of you spending money on lodging and things like that, you can maybe still provide the same value to, you know, these people you sell your videos to by just like maybe doing a mix of like having real video with some generated stuff. So you don't have to travel out to big Sur. AI assistant you know? videos. you know, so yeah, like it's an AI assistant, you know, and I think the real winners are always the people who are willing to adapt. People who are willing to learn, you know, um, you know, like what, 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 are we, what are we supposed to say, for example, to a coal miner, you know, like, you know, sorry, we'll just keep your job so we can keep destroying the earth. You know, I don't know. So it's like, in the, it's, it's, it's in the same sphere of things. Like basically my, my, my assessment of things is don't be scared. Um, just find a way, just find a space for yourself. You know, what's interesting is, you know, you mentioned coal miner. And so I remembered this, I was listening to a podcast earlier and it was one of the things they were saying was, the more fancier your degree is, the more you're at risk of being disrupted by AI. Whereas like, if you're a plumber, like the world will always need plumbers. The world will always need people who do physical work or so that's what they were saying. Whereas mm-hmm. if you're like a, like an engineer, I can see how AI would replace a full stack or a front end engineer within the next you know year or two. I could see it happening. Not We're, in the next year or two. Cause there's so like, if you're talking about like a, a senior engineer, you can't just be replaced by AI. And so here, here's yeah. what I mean by that. I think someone, someone who's a good, and I, I've done this myself where it's like, instead of having to hire out front end engineers, we've been able to make use of AI assisted, whether it's like a no code tool or whether it is just like myself having not like a full, not as good of an understanding as someone whose entire job is, 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 you know, be a developing front end like websites or whatever. Yeah, I've been able to just like, accomplish most of what the project needed to do myself using cursor or chat GPT. And I've already seen myself, whereas like a year and a half ago, I would have gone and hired someone. I could just do the work myself being AI assisted. Now, if you think like, you know, one to two years in the future, I could already see a world where it's like AI is good enough to where a site like Dbuild, you know, put in some, put in like a, a, you know, prompt for a website and it generates it. Perfect JavaScript code right out the bat and it already works. So I, I don't know. No, no, no. Like you're right. Like maybe for like things like templating and like basic use, uh, that you, you would get replaced. But like at the end of the day, it, that kind of is a good thing if you're only doing like basic work. But being a real engineer comes with like designing systems, 
uh, having context of things, uh, you know, building secure infrastructure around the technology you're building. That is not something I can see being immediately replaced, but like something that just maybe generates a front page landing page. Then yeah. And in a way it's also a good thing too, because it accelerates us because something that's like templatable, templatable, you shouldn't be hiring, uh, spending 120 K on a person to just do something that you can already do. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. So basically what you're saying is like, you know, the best will win out. Yeah. And here, here's the thing, like, this is a secret about fighting deep fakes, right? Even when it comes to like, say, for example, Sora, GANs, the models that typically produce uh, deep fakes. And from what I know about Sora, Sora is not actually just GANs. There's some additional archi- uh, layering in the architecture. Uh, the biggest weakness to GANs is context. Uh, in reality, like we give a lot of, um, we, get a, we give a lot of power and uh, um, benefit to these GANs when in reality they're, they're no different than like, have you ever heard of that saying where if you put 10 billion chimpanzees in one room and leave them there for 10 billion years, eventually they'll write Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what GANs are. You, they, you, you reward them for randomizing things into the right aspect, whether it's like, you know, generating a face or generating an image or, or voice. But when it's producing that content for you, it doesn't really know what it means or what it's saying. It's just, it's just been rewarded enough to be like, oh, I'm going in the right direction, you know? And that, like, if, if you like maybe uh, take a step back and look at the core of the technology, like starting with like embeddings and like similarity search, like when you're talking about like uh, Wartevec, which is one of the early versions of what GPT is now is, this, this is before the advent of Transformers. It basically is like, okay, we read a bunch of text and how often is the word the next to this word or next to that word? Uh, and then you reward it for like just hitting the right sequence right there. But my, does it really know what it's saying? My argument to that is though, is like, you know, you can say, okay, Instagram is not that hard of a platform to build. It's just a bunch of like TypeScript code put together with a front end and a back end. My argument to that is social media is very addicting. They have all of our data and you're starting to see mental health, you know, the, you're, you're starting to see the results of having a lot of social media exposure at a young age and like mental health with these 13, 14, 15 year old kids. And so the same thing with chat GPT, you know, you can say that it's generally not that hard. It's not like its own intelligence, whatever. I would say that you're already starting to see the effects of people being able to move into job fields that they normally wouldn't have had access to or be able to create things that they normally wouldn't have had access to. And so you take that and you multiply it at scale once the, once the technology becomes more powerful. It's like, what happens this year in the elections? It's the first year ever since ChatGPT had come out that we're having our elections, at least you know in America. Yeah. And so what happens now that I can go and create a fake video of Vivek doing something that something scandalous and people won't be able to tell or by the time people have been able to tell that it's fake, the video would have already gone viral on Twitter. Yeah. No, no. So that, that's, so yeah, that's, that's another thing from what I'm saying. What I was basically padding on to the fact is like jobs won't necessarily get replaced because we have, we as humans at least have the power of context. We understand, Oh, this, this maybe this piece of code belongs here. Or when you're creating a video, let's say like one way, like a videographer's life will still be safe is the fact that, if you, Sora is not public, available to the public yet, but like, have you ever like go on mid journey and say, hey, generate a picture of San Francisco. And then it's a little inaccurate because it's just like guessing, you know, like quickly put it into a prompt and be like, um, oh, uh, give me a futuristic version of San Francisco. And it like totally puts the bridge in the wrong place. Uh, like that's what I'm talking about. Like those things of reality, like context 
the, what's really around. So that's where we're safe, right? In the sense of that's Would its weakness. Would you say our jobs are safe then though? Because again, if we're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, paying an engineer or paying a filmmaker a large sum of money to physically come out and, you know, create some piece of content versus just spending a little bit of money, having someone spend more time on the prompt such that, you know, it is accurate, you know, relative to like the location of the bridge relative to like the location of SF or if spending about more now, time. Like I'm, I don't know how the, the direction the technology is going in, but like, like we we'll see in like a year or two, three years, five years. But as of right now, if you're like, say, a high production film or you're a, you know, Series A company, it is not worth your money to like hope that AI can like fill in the gap that a real person would. That's what I'm saying. The power of context is something we still have on our side. Mm. You know, this is at least for the time being. Like I can't tell you how things will be in two years, but as of right now, that's our advantage over. Uh, say uh, any AI system, right? And so yeah. then, you know, so like for for example, if you're talking about like you you still want to hire a studio to be able to put like everything together to make sure it makes sense. Right. You can't like just generate a whole movie because right now it's not capable of doing that, right? And it's, so if we want to talk about right now, for example, though, yeah. like with the elections, right now Sora it's still not open, like it's still not open yeah. to the public, but there are. AI image, you know, AI video generators. And now that Sora is public, there are going to be a bunch of other companies that start to accelerate their public launch timelines so that they're not too far after. In this current year, you know, we're about to vote for, for who's going to be the next US president. How do you see AI impacting the election? Because people are saying, and relatively credible people now are starting to say 2016 was impacted, 2020 was yeah. impacted by technology. Yeah. And we're just talking about advertisers. We're not talking about like directly creating malicious content or making fake content to target or, or to push a narrative. Yeah. So as much as I like to be an optimist, I do agree with you. There is like a clear coming danger. And if we don't do anything, like you said, the, if you're talking about just election, election cycles alone, and this is not just a threat to just the election, it's just like, it's a threat to anything where we have the right to make a well-informed decision. Right. So mm-hmm. whether it's like, you know, you know, ch- you know, choosing between, you know, one school or another or choosing between one president or another or just any sort of high high value stake decision you know like what about say a court case scenario where you know you're in a murder trial right and then you have a piece of audio where it like says where the person admits to the crime and then the defendant's like no that's a that's a, that's a voice call and that's not me what are you supposed <laughs> to do in that situation these are high stake decisions do? like today what do you do nothing there's nothing you can do there's i mean unless you know you can put the deep trust logo here. You, you help us trust, you know, but actually like, uh, is deep, is deep trust at a point right now where someone could go and use it to defend themselves in a court case? Yeah. It, it, we've actually already, we've ever, we've already like helped someone in a similar lower stakes situation, um, without like revealing names or anything like that. We had a, uh, a, a student at a, um, what do you, uh, a seminary. So he's it's an 18 year old who's studying to become a priest in Southern California. And a few months before he got to school, um, someone he was no longer friends with cloned his voice and said, I can ruin your life. That's what he told him. Right. And then back in December, the father or the principal of the school received uh, an audio clip of him, you know, talking to girls and, you know, saying things that would hurt his reputation. And this individual, the student was uh, in shock he was, you know, he didn't know what he could do. And he happened to stumble upon, you know, our website, our, our content. And then he asked us to help him out. And something we realized that 
uh, could help people in this sort of predicament is not necessarily, you know, being a big brother, like, you know, 1984 big brother telling them this is reality. This is fake. This is true. This is not, but guiding people to make more informed decisions for, for in that scenario specifically, that father, that principal was not aware of the state of the technology. He didn't know it was even possible to clone someone's voice. Really? So what we did was like, we, we basically wrote a report, treated it like almost like an experiment. We had control variables. We had uh, experimental variables where we took like things that were like clearly the kid's real voice, clearly the, the kid's clone voice, like as in we made clones of his voice. And then the content that we we're looking at, all right? And then we report, wrote a report and we didn't tell them make this decision or that decision. We said, here, take this knowledge. You're now more informed make more informed decisions. And that's, that's the whole point of deep trust. We want to be a layer of trust between content, content provider, content consumer at any industry, any medium like security to reputation protection, and then help people make more informed decisions. So yes, we can see ourselves being involved with that with like say digital forensics labs uh, when it comes to like court cases and things like that. It's honestly just a matter of it happening in real life more. We just need to have those defendants who are aware of that. We just need to have, I mean, it's not, we're, we're actually entering a liar's paradox where it's not even like, what oh, is a liar's paradox? A liar's paradox is like, you, you, like uh, I'm, I'm summarizing here and paraphrasing, but like you've been lied to so much, right? Where even things that are true, you have doubt in it. Ooh. So uh, like a, a, a good example that I can even share with you. I saw this TikTok video okay. where a guy was trolling, but he was like, he was actually doing a selfie, right? But the caption was like, oh my God, look at this. It, video that Sora produced. Uh, and he said the prompt was a handsome young man walking through his neighborhood, right? <laughs> and that was the troll, right? But the problem was because people have already been convinced like otherwise about Sora, they believe that real video, oh, that was generated. And you could see that in the comments, right? And if you didn't know who that person was and didn't realize that was a real person just walking around like that, you now, now have not only doubt in what could be fake and generated, but now you have doubt in what could be real. It's even like on Twitter today with the whole Gmail thing. Have you seen that? No. Like Gmail is sun Google is sunsetting Gmail. Someone like made a, a fake tweet and posted it, a screenshot. And I scroll on my timeline and it's back to back to back. Everyone just saying like, bro, I can't believe Google is sunsetting Gmail. I can't believe they're doing this. It's yeah. time to short Google stock. Um, I need a new job. I just got fired. I was in charge of letting go all of the Gemini engineers, but instead I let go of the Gmail engineers. But that wasn't true, right? It wasn't true. Yeah. But people believe it. Yeah. So this is the thing. It's like, like trending on Twitter right now. Hashtag Gmail. And this is, so that's a, that's a problem of misinformation and that's already existed. And the thing is just like how AI accelerates us and every positive productivity way it also accelerate us in this negative way. Right. Where it becomes, I mean, this is, this is, that's like a normal situation where it didn't involve like generative AI, but now basically take that sort of same formula and then now just twist it with like, Omer says he eats babies and then it goes viral. And then now everyone's saying Omer is the baby eater, you know? Yeah. And that's it. The damage okay. has been done. Even if you take the, time the damage to, has been done. Exactly. You look at a lot of like, even if it's subconscious, it becomes subconscious, yeah. you know, like you've maybe you've proven you're innocent and everything like that. And then your friend dabs you up and then back in his head is like baby eater. You know, are you speaking from experience here? No, no, no. This seems very specific. I'm not totally motivated by deep trust because of this exact scenario. This has never happened to me. Nice. Um, <clears throat> but where it has happened, I remember when I, was doing, <laughs> when I was doing research for this episode, I came across, um, it was this month actually, it uh -huh. was a $25 million AI heist. And so basically there was a hacker or there was a, there was a scammer who used 
AI deepfake videos to steal 25 million in Hong Kong. I think the way he did it was he pretended to be the CFO of some like institution in Hong Kong. And he said that he basically needed $25 million to be wired, which is 200 million in like the Hong Kong currency. And he needed $25 million to get wired. And the way he convinced the person to send the money is there was like a Zoom call with deep fakes of like 15 people who are on the board or on the team. Yep. And the guy sends 25 million or the girl sends 25 million. And just like that, you know, I think that the, the news is calling it the first one. I'm sure it's not the first. It isn't. It isn't. Is, do you know of any others? Oh, there's multiple actually. Okay. Um, first, there's the multiple at the individual level where uh, you have the imitation scams where regular old Americans get, you know, scammed. And the FTC put out a report two weeks ago that Americans have already lost $2.7 billion in imitation scams. That's either someone imitates to be you or they imitate to be an Oprah or uh, Tyler Swift. Someone calls my dad pretending to be me saying I need money. Yep. That's happened multiple times, multiple times. There's and you know, the issue with scams in general is people usually aren't open to sharing like, Oh, I've been scammed. I lost half my net worth. And I can share you this video, but this actually even happened to my mom. I was like this close. She was this close. Like, no way. Yeah. So for some context already, I was aware that identity scams are very, very gruesome. Like uh, I have a very close friend of mine. He used to be my roommate and uh, his identity was stolen without generative AI three years ago. And he's still, he's still dealing with those problems today. What problems? Uh, either his, his credit score has been dumped. This person pretended to be him and oh. like did multiple things that, you know, you know, ruined, you know, his financial and he can't ability to do things. And, I mean, it's like, just like I, like identity theft is like a very, it's a serious problem, Jim. Right. As we, as I quote the office. And then uh, I'm, as I said, AI will accelerate this. And the way it almost happened to my mom, I was home during Thanksgiving time, washing the dishes. And my mom was like, Amoni, come here. Uh, uh, Oprah is telling me to sign up for this government check. It's like, Oprah. And she also said, um, Steve Harvey. Oprah, Steve Harvey, uh, government check. I didn't hear nothing about this. And she was asking me to get her social security card for her. So, so it looked like she was filling out a form. He's like, damn mom, I didn't know you was that tapped in <laughs> with the celebrities. Yeah. And what, what it was, and it's very smart. It's very smart, low effort. You don't need, this is why I'm saying voice is the medium of deception because you don't need generated images to do what they did here. The way the tactic work was they had in the video I, I can share with you the, and where my mom's in the background, all cute, like, oh, she's so innocent where The Rock, his voice was cloned. They show his face for a second and then everything else they show is be real. So like, it looks like it was a commercial. And like, if you're unsuspecting, you're not aware of this technology, why would you mistrust someone that you recognize? You know, you know their Mm. voice, you know who they are. Why would they lie to you? If it's, usually it's if a scam, it's the Nigerian prince or da, da, da. So from an individual level, this is already happening at scale, right? And and you just go, go to YouTube, Type in deepfake recently uploaded, always a new, you know, like local news report of someone getting scammed by someone they, they trusted and it wasn't actually them. Whether it's like from like a measly $1,000, $5,000 to a family losing $100,000, which is basically for most individuals, their entire savings, right? And then other enterprises have already been hit by this. There is an identical scenario of the Hong Kong situation you talked about where uh, an accountant in, in Dubai thought she was talking to her CEO and then wired millions of dollars to this scammer. Uh, even at, in Dubai too, there was another scenario where a mother tried to like, um, 
get custody of her children by cloning her ex-husband's voice to saying like, oh, I, I beat my kids or something like that, right? Ooh. Yeah, exactly. What and do you, then- What do you even do in these scenarios? Do you have a safe word? This is, that's exactly what I did with my mom. So I sat, I sat her down. I brought my brother and sister and I was kind of, I was like, it was a weird situation because I was excited to like tell my mom what I'm doing, you know, as a, as you know, like, you know, fobs, you know, like you don't get that opportunity a lot to like get them excited about what you're doing. Right. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, but at the same time, it was a little scary because if I wasn't there, what would have happened? Right. Yeah. And I told you like my friend happened to him once. I don't even think he did anything intentional. And then you're talking about years of, you know, gruesome tr trouble. Right. Yeah. Uh, and we came up with a safe word, like if we hear each other's voice, but then what is she, she's not gonna have a safe word with Oprah. Mm. You know, that, that- well, What's the safe that word? That tag, I, well, what's the, <laughs> if I say the safe word, then there's no point in the safe word. Everyone, have a, if you have a safe word, it's meant between the two parties. Do not share it. That's like worse than sharing a password. You know, I will say, when I, when I look at the people who DM me and say like, hey, I liked your episode, they're all generally very smart people, so. Oh yeah. My audience, they're smart. You don't okay. gotta tell them. They okay. know. I'll trust that you don't need that advice. But for those of you who do, the point of a passphrase is to not share it. It's a secret. Thank you. Thank you. But like in terms of enterprise level, like we've seen other attacks where involved voice phishing. Retool had like a had a deep fake attack where oh, it was retool. like Yeah, yeah. Where it was not even like a CEO or CFO, it was like a regular employee and they lost multiple accounts. To these, uh, to these hackers that included private information like their social security. And then uh, another severe one was back in September, MGM, where the amount of loss was crazy. They lost a hundred million dollars just of revenue because of what the, what the attack did is they, they took control over their systems. So their customers couldn't access their hotel rooms, slot machines, et cetera. So all that compounded, anything MGM related was basically shut down for like over a week or two. And that alone lost them about $100 million in revenue. Plus they paid off a ransom. Plus now they're dealing with legal fees of, you know, people suing them and everything like that. So the amount of loss here is absolutely crazy. Um, there's a stack a stat just with breaches alone because we're talking about Gen AI, but Gen AI will be used to be used for a tool for breaching, right? Honestly, like it might be the only tool breachers will use because it's just so easy to use, right? Uh, like from 2018, like uh, the amount of money lost to breaches was less than a billion dollars. And then it jumped up to in 2022 to $30 billion, something like that. So already cyber attacks have like skyrocketed, you know, and that's what the, the, the introduction of like um, crypto wallets and things like that, where you, you don't have to only hack certain companies with, you know, valuable data. You can just hack anybody and then just, you know, put ransomware in the way, make them, pay you via Bitcoin or whatever, and then boom, they're they're done. So if you wanted to scam $1 million this month using AI deepfakes, how would you do it? For for you, for you research purposes. For research purposes, uh, not this is not advice. Why'd uh, you say it like that? Looking into the camera. Yeah. Like <laughs> okay, I have to be honest. If there isn't a better time to be a villain besides now, right? This is how I would potentially do it, potentially. Right. Why are you making all these faces? <laughs> Listen, I am trying to distance myself from any sort of blame that happened. Listen, I know you're a big podcaster now. You're going to put this clip out and then, you know, next day someone loses a lot of money. That's not on me. I'm doing this for the sake of knowledge sharing, right? If I were a villain, if. When, sorry. Go ahead. Excuse me? Well, go ahead. <laughs> what I do first is the ability to clone someone's voice is incredibly easy, right? Find the CEO, uh, head of whatever, 
and find them, find maybe like an, a presentation they have online, you know, uh, take a minute of their audio. You don't even need that much. Right. And, uh, use a voice clone tool, clone their voice, get a nice LLM that's maybe prompted to be like, hey, you are the CEO of Acme Inc. All right, and then have that working together, the LLM and the voice, and then get a phone agent and just like, instead of like one call at a time, just call a hundred people who work at the company and just hope one sticks. And that's it. That's how, you do, how you'd potentially do it. And just to tell you like how effective this would be, Email and SMS phishing where someone like emails you saying, hey, this is your CEO, please send Apple gift card, please quick, you know, those sort right. of things. Those have like less than less than a 1% success rate. So Makes like sense. maybe a hundred employees, one gets fooled. And by the way, you only need one person to get fooled for a breach to really happen, right? There is a, another company that we're working with, uh, they called Breacher AI. Uh, they do simulations of breaches and uh, a founding they found with voice phishing Voice phishing attacks have a 70% success rate with some of the companies they've worked with to simulate breaches. 70%. 70%. So if you send out 100 phone agents, expect 70, 70 of them to hit. And again, you only need one. Amon's about to announce his $6 million seed round next yeah. week. Redacted, <laughs> redacted. I did not encourage people to do this, but this is a potential, you know? And then How of course- How would you use these phone agents? Like what, what softwares do people use? Yeah, and, but you know, you wouldn't have to worry about this if you know you had deep trust. But genu genuinely, like, how do people use phone agents? Like, what software? There, there are startups that are like kicking off. Like, if I, if I'm someone that yeah. has an agency and I want to, you know, do cold outreach and I don't want to spend emails, because you're right, emails do have a low acceptance rate. People are kind of generally used to, especially business owners, yeah. are used to having their inbox flooded, so they don't really check the cold outreach um, agency work with us emails anymore. But phone number, phone agents, actually sounds like a good. I'm not gonna go into more details here. I told you the villains are listening. If I go into more detail, then I'm just going to get in trouble, right? It's simple. You just like, you, you get an LLM, you get like some phone API or you use one of those phone existing- Phone API, so you use Twilio? Hypothetically. Okay, okay. You're getting me in trouble here. How I'm just starting, man. Listen, I don't want to get locked up, please. It's not me. Like this is for a week later from now when another scam happens. Listen, it wasn't me. I'm sorry. It, I had nothing to do with it. You can cut it out. We're going to clip that and put it in the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm here to protect myself, right? And so now with Deep Trust, how do you plan to protect the other people? What's like the long-term plan with it? I think yeah. right now you're, you've been doing a lot of like the outreach and raising recently. Yeah, yeah. And we're, we're actually working on closing some enterprise contracts. I know we can't talk about how much you're yeah. going to make on those contracts, but I think out of all of the people in our portfolio that have come to me and talked about like, you know, their initial first sales cycle, you're, the number that you guys have is disgusting to me. Yeah. I mean, like there's listen, an insane the amount of market, like product market fit right now. Yeah. But here, the, here's the thing. It's not about the, con the, the con ACV, the contract value. It's about how much value we bring in as a product, right? We not only mitigate the, the cost of like developing the tools and solutions to detect these things, but we prevent what I like, what I'm telling you is like breaches, which are ex expensive and even company ending. And that's for a security standpoint. There's also another need of like, say, IP and brand protection. You know, I lived in LA before. When I was living in LA, what was happening? What? The, the strikes. Half of the strikes were about oh, wages. Right. The other half were about likeness being stolen, right? And we're not even talking about like, oh, they're going to replace me as an actor. We're talking about IP loss. Listen, was that Drake leak really Drake? The brand damage things can be done at this scale for like, obviously not even just like musicians and artists, but anyone of 
you know, like a figure, public figure, public figure of notoriety, like any notoriety, right? The, the potential of damage that can be done there is business ending, right? Uh, revenue loss is uh, unimaginable, right? Because it, we're, we're, at the, we're at the beginning of this sort of uh, climate. So the value that we're adding is actually much more than what we're charging them. They're getting, if anything, they're getting a great deal working with us. Um, so yeah, um, that's, the, that's, I guess, an explanation why we're able to achieve that. So yeah. How much time do you spend right now on sales versus company building and like hiring and kind of the things that, you know, stop like not coding anymore. How much of the time is split between the sales and that side of stuff? And when do you think it'll flip? Yeah, no, honestly, because I'm fundraising plus, uh, selling the team again. So it's the three of us okay, and okay. we only need the three of us. Um, but like, because I'm doing both of those things, it's taking up hundred percent of my time right now. But my plan is like, once I get half of that selling, because I'm selling to venture capitalists or angels. Once I get that part done, I'm getting my head back down into improving the current technology we have. Cause I'll be honest, what we've been selling has just been our MVP. Our MVP like provides so much value already, but there's already so many things in my mind that I can do to improve the, the offering we give. The product what are, what are those things? Um, so as of right now, like the, the, the way the technology works is it's actually it's actually just doing audio detection, but adding more layers to like fully, fully complete the design vision that I have of what I'm calling VoxGuard, Deep Trust VoxGuard, where it's gonna be a multi-layered architecture where it not only does deep fake detection, but now analyzes content, uh, sentiment, multiple things that allow you to truly help people trust what they're hearing. And we're taking on audio for because of the, the thesis, but also because it's such an open space right now where again, aligned with the thesis, we have so much opportunity to just learn so much too. So uh, yeah, that's just getting our heads down and, you know, training our models, improving our product uh, and et cetera. Yeah. You know, one of the things I've also been thinking about is, you know, I'd mentioned implications of social media, especially on like a younger generation or like, you know, my younger brother, when you have kids, whatever. Do you think that blockchain will play a part in the verifiability aspect of social media? Like, do you think that Farcaster or even like Instagram will start to build in these like, I don't know what, the, like the blockchain version of a verification badge. So that if something gets posted and it's a video of me talking like a clip from the podcast that's fake, you'll be able to tell, okay, this clip is able to be linked and signed by the docs official blockchain signature or like, you know, the token versus, okay, here's a clip, but you can't link it back to the blockchain token. Therefore it can't be trusted. Yeah. So the concept you're talking about is called digital watermarking. I'm actually quite bullish on it. I believe it'll be useful, but uh, it doesn't solve the entire problem. Like we're talking about, we're talking about content authenticity. This, this market I'm calling is digital trust, being able to trust what you hear and see digitally. Uh, You have uh, preemptive solutions and you have reactive solutions. Watermarking works great as a preemptive solution. Like if you have like an existing content, you can like sign it and then prove that it came from you. But like most of the problems are going to be reactive. Like how are you going to, you know, tell like, oh, someone you're talking to on the phone is a real person or not. How are you going to know, you know, any raw content you're getting immediately is real or not. I, I do believe like a good portion of the problem could be solved with, uh, with digital watermarking, but the issue is it requires so much buy-in. You need, to, you need to work with the people who generate the models. You need to work with people who have the hardware to either sign it from that point forward or either people can come to like us and then we sign it for them before they post things or you know maybe 
content provider. Like there's a lot of buy-in that needs to occur in order for and this people to People won't do that. You can't rely on people to Exactly. Care. Exactly. But it is a, it is a very potential solution. I think, I think maybe not something in the immediate term, but over the long term, as especially once people, people and institutions become more aware of the problem, they want to cooperate. And in fact, there's already, there's already an effort uh, in this space called, um, called the content authenticity initiative where their focus is primarily in watermarking. Um, I don't know how much of a legitimate solution they're building. It just seems like more of like a corporations partnering together saying like, Oh, we believe in this. We're taking a stand. You're taking a stand, you know? So, but I do, I do believe it is one of many tools. So even deep fake detection, I don't think it's the whole tool. It's one wrench in a toolbox. Uh, and the thing is what we're focusing on is not solutions. We're focusing on the problem. How do we solve the problem? And that requires multiple ways, multiple paths. But then what's the immediate solution? The immediate solution is actually education, like helping mm. people be aware of this. And it can, it can help put a dent on the numbers we're seeing like that 70%. Uh, because for example, people like my mom or that priest or anything like that, the regular Americans, the regular uh, citizens of the world are not aware of like how accessible and capable this technology is yet. Introducing that to help them become more aware can at least in the immediate term truly like solve the problem, whether it's like putting a passphrase with your family or maybe having a zero trust when it comes to like seeing things on the internet. So before you like, you know, I don't know, wire 25 million to someone, maybe fact check it, you know, like yeah, yeah. walk over- 25 million walk, dollars, you should check. Walk over, walk over to the CEO or just message him on Slack. Hey, was that you who just called me? Yeah. You know? And that can mitigate that can mitigate the problem, but it won't solve it entirely. And it's something that we could definitely do now, right now. Uh, the reality though is like building defake detection. That's a growing solution that I'm currently building. It's not like hundred percent done. Just like how, for example, Sora is not hundred percent done or, you know, different models are not hundred percent done is it's a direction that we're taking a focus that we're taking that we believe it'd be a first layer of defense in the long term. Yeah. Ponder. Yeah. Pondering. In the meanwhile, this message was brought to you by Deep Trust. Believe what you hear again with AI. Sorry, we had to do a sponsorship there. Eric looks flabbergasted. <laughs> <laughs> like I can send you like a clone of my voice and I can say something and I'll just like mouth it. All it's right, incredible. this episode has gone on for too long. So now <laughs> I'm going to ask you the question I ask everyone towards the end of the podcast, which is if we were to do this podcast again in a year, mm -hmm. what would you have want to accomplish to consider the last year's success? Help as many people as possible trust in what they hear again. That's, I don't, I don't know if that's like a- You have a number? A number? Yeah. We better make a short in a year. We're going to come back to you and film a short. A year ago, you said this. Did you do it? You know, in terms of, let's say in terms of revenue, I'll say 1 million ARR. So whatever that equals a number of people. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I would I would like to, I, my, my ambition is 6 billion people. Let's see if I can hit it in a year. You know, you always aim for the stars. And if you don't make it, at least you'll be with the birds, you know? I'm pretty sure it was aim for the moon. You'll end up with the stars, but it's fire. <laughs>